Welcome to episode number 128 of The Sleeper and the Bust. Joining me today is Eno Saris. Eno, tell everyone say hello. Tell everyone say hello. Yeah, I didn't really say that properly. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> and, and uh, the guy who flubs his words and has been pointed out on Twitter, uh, including pirates and other 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 things and things like that, is uh, Nicholas Minix. That's me. Um, other things and things like that. I, you know, I'm just glad you're around so they stop talking about how I massacre everybody's name. <laughs> and I, I take pride in such things. You know, I have to say, I mean, uh, I'm glad someone pointed that out. Um, I, I updated my my grammar uh, outlook, I guess. Um, something I was always taught about possessives, uh, plural possessives, and I guess I, I was incorrect on that. But uh, hey, you know, I, I, I'm glad to have learned that. So thank you to, uh, to, to the listener who pointed that out. Uh, you teach us and we teach you. <laughs> and so a uh, ton of stuff to get to, uh, especially, uh, with the way the Blue Jays have done. I'm really curious to see how they'll do in the World Cup. Um, but, uh, before we get to that, um, I'm really excited and, uh, we have a number of topics we'd like to, uh, to, to discuss for a lot of our listeners, very loyal listeners and appreciative of their interest. And, uh, I want to begin with, uh, uh, just a few of those and, and start with Marcelo Zuna, uh, who's we've been asked is he the real deal uh, and perhaps how long will his hot performance last and I think he's an interesting player because um, I, I recall distinctly uh, quite often in doing mock drafts and things in the preseason he was kind of in considered in the same neighborhood or about the same type of player uh, drafted um, uh, as Oswaldo Garcia but I always kind of thought Ozuna had a little more upside um, uh, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me uh, probably just as great a rate uh, possibility of uh, to have a failure rate uh, just as bad as uh, as R.C. is. I mean, I think he's an interesting player. I think there's a lot of talent there. I think there's more than with R.C. perhaps. But um, otherwise, I don't really have a strong feel on that. I, and uh, so I'm especially curious to see uh, what Eno thinks. It's, it's a good comp because uh, they're, they both have a lot of power and they're in bad power parks. They both have bad plate discipline, although – uh, to be fair, Ozuna's walk rates have been a little bit better than Arcia's, so there's still a chance that someday Ozuna walks at a league average rate. Um, you know, as for the strikeout rate, it's kind of up and down, but it, it, it improved as he went up in the minor leagues. So I actually had hope that he would hold around 20%, even despite his bad swing strike rate. Now his swing strike rate's gotten worse, and his strikeout rate's gotten worse. So... I don't know that I think he'll ever have a better batting average than he has now. I'm not sure that he's going to be much worse, though, because he, the power is translating, and it's, it's arriving pretty fast. He's a, a, a decently fast player, and then he doesn't hit, he hits uh, infield fly balls less often than, um, than the league average. So th- those are the ways that you can, you can make your BABIP better. And at 320, his BABIP is not that crazy. Um, I don't see a lot of collapse coming in it. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, more of his power will come against lefties and more of his power will come on the road. That's just what you get with the young Marlin, I think. But I do think the power, especially going forward, is going to only embiggen. And <laughs> That's one of my favorite words, embiggen. 
<laughs> but uh, he's just gonna get he's just gonna get better, you know. And I think I could see a season in the next couple of seasons. I could see him hitting 25 homers and stealing eight to ten bases and hitting like 275. So I think there's some good seasons coming this season. I think it's gonna be a little bit more like 260, 25 or something like that. Still like. Uh, you know, the average, at some point we did an average outfielder in uh, fantasy. And what we found was the average outfielder was something like um, 275, 18, and 8. And, uh, and so basically what we're saying is he can be average, and average is not, uh, is not replacement level. So I, I, uh, I think he's a useful player. And um, I, for the record, I was the, the most... Um, positive about him in the last ranking um, groups that we did. Um, I had him 44th. He ended up 52nd overall. I would take him over... I have him over Zobrist as an outfielder. Or Zobrist, sorry. <laughs> I have him over Bourne, who's just stopped stealing. I have him over Marcakis, who I just... I'm not sure that he's going to hit 20 homers, so he's more of a batting average only guy. I'm sure he's not. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, I even have him over Rajai Davis, who is also a righty, but I just he has more track record when it comes to bad uh, platoon splits. So, any case, uh, that's the kind of group he's in, and I think he belongs there. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. I think, it, and when <clears throat> when this listener asked when you talk about, um, you know, is he a real deal? And I think that there was some allusion to you know maybe what you know what does this guy have in terms of long term value for me too. Um, and that, if that is the case, I mean, obviously, then you're talking about uh, where Jake Marisnik fits in the picture. And I always kind of, I, I always didn't really think of him as a, a player with quite the ceiling. Uh, and I don't think, uh, maybe that's kind of the convention also. But uh, I mean, I, um, I, I, I think long term, that just uh, seems to me that Marisnik is a, is a bit more of a fourth outfielder. Um, I, I don't, uh, but I mean, I think it, I think it's going to be an interesting. Um, an interesting way that that situation develops in Miami, uh, but uh, I mean, I, I I think as long as Ozuna doesn't fall flat on his face for two or three months at a time, I think that he will hold the advantage there. Yeah, the uh, the the I think I agree with you. Marizic's more of a fourth outfielder. He basically has the same plate discipline problem problems that every outfielder they have has. <laughs> Uh, too many strikeouts, not enough walks. It's a very interesting outfield. And um, they're all very toolsy. And Marisnik has the fewest tools and the, and the same strikeout problems. The only way I could see him sneaking in is if they decide that none of the others are center fielders. And that is, to be honest, that's a, that's a risk. I mean, Stanton's obviously not a center fielder. And then Yalik, probably not a center fielder. And they're playing Ozuna there, but... There was some question if he was a tweener too. So um, that's the only way one of them loses their job. And I mean, they're young enough. I maybe trade. I don't know. I don't see it happening. I, I think they'll they'll you know Marisnik is the kind of guy that they'll they'll move in and out of the lineup and and play him at center when Stanton's hurt and Ozuna slides over or whatever. But Ozuna keeps his job for the time being. Yes, uh, <clears throat> I tend to agree with that, and uh, I think that um, a player who's, who's actually received quite a bit more um, 
uh, we, we've received a couple of questions on this guy, I think. And, and Alex Wood, uh, just one question has been, you know, why were the Braves handling this handling this way? When when and then, you know, when when can we project him to rejoin the rotation? And I think we got some answers to that as far as uh, the news was concerned. Uh, same day or on Tuesday, uh, when when the Braves activated Jordan Walden from the disabled list. Uh, they sent Wood down to be stretched out. And I think that that actually, I mean, it's pretty good timing because I think that that was kind of, uh, I mean, I think that kind of would have been the way that our our projection would have uh, looked had we talked about him on Tuesday, for instance, is just, hey, this is this is something that's going to be coming in the not-too-distant future. Um, but at the same time, uh, they talked about needing him. I think they have a doubleheader on, on the 28th. Uh, and they talked about needing him then, but it's still going to be a case of when is there going to be a spot open and this pitcher that they want stretched out as opposed to lingering in the bullpen. Um, and this, I mean, it's a smart move considering that they're, they have decent bullpen depth and uh, rotation spots are really, um, uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing you want. Uh, this is, I mean, Wood is a starter in the long term. Obviously the stuff has played well and it's, it's mostly disappointing because, uh, would pr- display such promise, uh, the promise that a lot of fantasy owners who were taking him late in drafts uh, really kind of uh, hoped that he'd continue to deliver on, and then uh, he gets booted from the rotation, and it certainly wasn't related to his performance. Um, Gavin Floyd is, I mean, that's, I mean, that basically is the is the guy who's in the way. So, uh, the, you know, there's no guarantee that he'll continue to perform okay, but he's in the Amer- uh, in the National League. Um, so there's not a whole lot of reason, and he's facing a lot of NL East teams. There's not a whole lot of reason to think that he's going to be ter- uh, terrible enough for them to remove him from the rotation. So uh, I think it all boils down to when there's a, when there's a health uh, issue. And to, um, I, um, I'm not real bullish on his value for the rest of this season, um, but it's not. I mean, in a very deep league, I'd be glad to own this guy. I know I'm just. I don't want to say that I'm th- shocked or surprised about how how many leagues he remains owned in i mean it was it was quite a few when i checked ownership percentages i think around 60 percent in cbs leagues and there you know, tend to be um deeper more competitive leagues not to knock any leagues elsewhere that's just kind of uh, their the makeup of folks who play there um and that's totally understandable but uh, even in, in shallower leagues uh, that that's that's his ownership percentages were pretty high relative to players that I think they can help now. So I think that that's some that that was just kind of what struck me. Um, is there anything that you see in, in its peripherals that maybe suggests that Atlanta's you know that, that there's a reason to be cautious about him going forward or anything like that? I think it's a straight innings limit situation. Alex Wood didn't manage to get 140 140 uh, innings last year. So, uh, uh, you know, if you, my sort of rule of thumb is 120%. So you can add another 30 to that and get to about 170. So they weren't going to get him through a full season without doing something like this. And, and of course, every team pretty much has, um, every team pretty much has what they, uh, you know, what their different way of approaching this. Some people, you know, put them down on the minors for a little bit. Some people do a phantom DL stint. Some people put them in the bullpen. So, um, you know, there's different ways of dealing with it. I don't think this was a terrible one. He got some time in. He he pitched a couple innings. He was useful to the team. Um, you know, he stayed up in the bigs and pitched against uh, big league batters. So that was good. Um, 
but uh, I think at this point, you can you can they can pitch in the rest of the way probably, um, and uh, and still maybe have him available for the postseason. This is a postseason team, um, so I, I think he'll probably add another something like uh, eighty to ninety uh, innings this uh, this season, and then be in the postseason rotation. I actually think it's Aaron Harang uh, that might be closer to out. Um, I just think that Floyd is younger. Uh, he's, you know, added the change a little, little bit. He's always had great control. Uh, his veterans uh, seem a little bit closer. I mean, I guess Harang did well with the Padres and Dodgers, but I don't see the Braves as having that sort of home park boost. Uh, I mean, Harang's uh, career whip is 135. His career ERA is 424. Floyd's close to some of those numbers, but... Um, you know, most of those were in the in the AL versus harangues. Most of those are in the NL. So, I just uh, I think that Floyd's a little bit better of a pitcher. Um, he's got two breakers. He's working on that change. Um, so I, I do think that one of those guys may actually lose their rotation slot. It's kind of hard to imagine it now, though. So, uh, you know, I guess they'll they'll put they'll they'll put Wood down there for a little bit, and you know, once he's down there, they can say oh you know now's not the time or you know wait for somebody to have a blister or something like that so you know, everybody you know the average major league team needs 10 starters to get through the to get through the season so to have a really good six starter and uh even a decent seven starter uh, for the uh for the braves and you know just, they'll just wait and see what happens for for owning him that makes it tough because he I, this is absolutely a guy who has mixed league he has the upside to strike out a batter per inning, which is great. Has good control. Um, you know, only I have some long-term worries about his delivery or whatever. But um, yeah, you know, other than that, uh, you know, that's uh, I, I I'm trying to own him. I'm trying to keep him even in, in shallow leagues. And if somebody drops him in my shallow league team, I'm going to try and pick him up and just try to sit on him in my in my um, especially if it's H to H or something where I can sit on him now. And, and hope he's around for the playoffs. Okay, and I think that's a it's an interesting point. I, you know, I didn't even think about Aaron Harang, uh, which probably maybe says a little bit about what I think about Aaron Harang and and uh, long term. I mean, I think I think it's it's the kind of player that the Braves can come out of. That, I mean, they picked him up for pretty much nothing, um, and the Braves are in a position where they can say. Harang, thanks for what you've done for us, but now we don't need you, kind of thing. And um, I mean, that's probably that's a pretty good position to be in. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, I, I love Wood's talent. I think that I mean, very very strong chance that he is a a mean fantasy contributor uh, after the All Star break for a good portion of it. So I think yeah, and let's not forget that the Braves have already burned a couple of bullets in the rotation uh, before the season even began. So. Um, they're approaching their uh, their uh, their quota. <laughs> uh, and a couple of other pitchers is, uh, who have, have kind of struck readers as fancy uh, are uh, we'll start with Jake Arietta as a pitcher that I've always kind of been partial to. Always liked his stuff, but kind of a maddening pitcher because it's really I mean it's from start to start. It's usually like a bad inning or a couple of bad innings um, in an otherwise. 
it's and this has kind of continued. I mean, since he was with the Orioles, uh, ever since he had um, surgery to remove, I think it was bone spurs in his elbow, like three years ago, his velocity jumped a great deal. And this is some, it's something that he had actually. I don't even think people were aware of this at the time. Like he had pitched with it since he was in high school, um, and it still become one of the organization's top prospects at the time and, and you know since then he i think this stuff has really kind of blossomed but uh his command of it uh, is is not always consistent and i think that that's i don't know how easily a pitcher can iron that kind of thing out if it's been a problem for this long but uh, i mean i i like the stuff i think that uh, he has the potential to strike out more hitters um if he you know, if he gets those things a bit under control, but uh, I mean, he's to me, he's you know, he's a 15 team mixed league commodity, like kind of at the end of it, potentially, as long as you can match him up well. Um, but I don't really know how you, I mean, to me, he's a little less predictable than a pitcher who just has a clear, obvious, you know, an obvious home road split. So I don't know how you value a pitcher like that. Yeah, he's his. You know his control is bad. I think it's just it's just bad command. Uh, you know he he has all the stuff, and in in fact, uh, a lot of it's improving. Um, you know one of the things that I said about him coming into the season was he had uh, he had five pitches, but none of them were good. And now his right now his changeup has a nineteen percent whiff rate. His slider has a fifteen percent whiff rate. His curve has a thirteen percent whiff rate. Basically, all of his breaking stuff looks average. Uh, breaking and off speed, they all look average or a little bit above. So that's a that's definitely a kitchen sink situation there. His sinker gets more than fifty percent ground balls. His four seam gets av- below average whiffs. Six percent is below average, and so I think there's probably a little bit of something going on. Um, yeah, his four seam is fast is, is straight. Uh, the average movement on a four seamer uh, horizontally. I just ran it was six. We talked about it last week for Gossman. It's, it's yes. six. Um, so. Um, you know, Ariadas is four, so he's got below average horizontal movement, and um, the ball rate on it is 43%, and the average ball rate is below 40%. So basically, he has bad command of a bad fastball, and then he has three other pitches. You know, I do think he's a, a commodity in deeper leagues because of the league he's in, and I think that what makes him so hard to own is bad command, and then uh, Wrigley is very hard to use correctly in terms of park factors. Wrigley is very different when the wind is blowing out and very different when it's warm. So day games at Wrigley, uh, when the wind is blowing out, it can sometimes play like Coors. And then, you know, when it, the fog is in and the, and the wind is blowing in and it's cold, it can play like San Diego. So, you know, if you're willing to kind of get into the minutiae and really figure it out, or you're in a deep league where you're just going to swallow some of those bad starts, you know, I think he's, he's a decent guy, but I will tell you, I have him, I have him just because I, I saw the velocity and, you know, the only other corollary to my sort of pitch type thing is go get velocity. So I picked him up because he was throwing 95 and I put him on some of my deeper teams and I can't sell him. I cannot sell him for anything. And, you know, just so that people know that you're not going to pick this guy up and sell him. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's too much of a track record. People see too much uh, to worry about in him. And um, the best thing you can do is put him on your bench and try to decide when the good matchups are. I think that's good advice, and you've you've gotten me off Jake Arietta. I appreciate your advice, you know. Thank you. 
<laughs> and by the way, if you try to trade him to me, um, I will give you a middle finger. <laughs> well, I just get my mouth shut. And off. <laughs> yep, too late now. Uh, and it's uh, and that is an easy segue into Danny Duffy because I do actually I kind I, I like Duffy more, um, <clears throat> and uh, also read or interested in what his kind of rest of season outlook is and. Uh, to be honest, when he first was when he first joined the Royals' rotation this year, uh, I mean, excuse me, the Royals' rotation this year, um, I wasn't that interested uh, for a couple of reasons. I just thought I, I thought that he wasn't uh, quite ready to demonstrate that um, that he was completely recovered from Tommy John surgery. Uh, not so much. Uh, I mean, I you know, no issues structurally or anything like that, but. Uh, yeah, I had some questions. I mean, this is a pitcher who's had a lot of control problems, and um, they were manifesting even in his starts coming back, and I wasn't sure that he was going to tame that quite well. And that, and the walk rate has been around four per nine innings, uh, or <clears throat> excuse me, or has been you know, or in the ten percent area. It's, I mean, that's still not attractive. But uh, watched a couple of his starts, and uh, particularly his start. I'm not sure if he's started since, but he made a start against St. Louis. Uh, recently, and I watched that one and just was really impressed. And this was just after he kind of been complaining of a bit of a dead arm period. And to me, there's always this, there's always a, a potential transition period for pitchers who are coming back from a serious injury like Tommy John surgery, where they they go through something. Uh, and, and for him, it's just a case that you know he obviously started the year a bit late as well. Uh, and a lot of pitchers go through this at at certain times in the first half of the year uh, or late in the year, depending on. Um, uh, well, a number of factors. Anyway, I mean, he's he's kind of gone through this period, and he'd had a couple of rough starts, and since then, uh, in that outing, I was really impressed. And it seemed like he was over it. The velocity was really good. Uh, it was distinctly jumping on you know, uh, 93, 94. I saw consistently. Uh, it was really commanding stuff well, and I, I was just, I mean, I was impressed. I was like, wow, this looks like a pitcher I'd like to own for the rest of the season, as opposed to a guy like a few weeks ago. I just really had doubts about whether this guy was going to be consistent uh, enough to be uh, a pitcher. I was looking, I would think, okay, I'm going to buy him next year. Uh, Cause I still think the talent is there, but uh, I mean, it, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, what uh, Duffy has done to this point? It's very strange, actually. It's very strange when you, when you sort of drill down, he, there, there is something to like, and it's, it's a very, it's not what you normally like with a guy coming off of, off of, um, off of Tommy John, which is that he's, he's harnessed the ball at least, and he, he's has, he has the best walk, uh, the ball rate on, on the fastball that he's had in his career. So, um, you know, the between the four seamer and the sinker, he's actually got a decent. Um, you know he's got a decent couple of pitches that he can command to maybe get ahead uh, uh, and use the change slider and curve. The problem is the whiffs have disappeared, and I don't know what's going on here. I mean, the change—it's it, the changeup is actually closest to where it used to be, and he's got—it's getting 10% whiffs now, and it used to get you know 12, 13, 14. The slider is getting 8% whiffs, so basically all the missing whiffs, and you do see it. His swing strike rate overall is down. Uh, those are all missing out of a slider, and I don't know what to say. I mean, I know that sometimes pitchers are told not to use the slider when they come back from Tommy John, so maybe 
there's a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, you know, Jared Parker told me that specifically that he was told not to use Tommy uh, sliders after Tommy John for a while, and uh, Salazar said something similar too. So, um, you know, maybe the fact that he didn't use it for a while uh, means that, you know, he, he it's not as sharp as it used to be. But you know, when does the sharpness come back, and when do you have a guy? You know, obviously. I mean, I don't think it, I'm going to say obviously, but it, maybe he could have put up those minor league strikeout rates just with velocity. I guess. It, I mean, maybe he, he could have just thrown a 95 mile fastball and thrown it by every minor leaguer. But you know, then he got up to the major leagues and he had a strikeout per inning for three years. So and he had he had swing strike rates that were above average. So what happened? I mean, I guess Tommy John happened, but you know, <laughs> his swing strike rate's gone. And I don't know. I don't know how worried about that to be, you know. Given that he did make some gains with his command, so it's a very strange way to come back. Usually, people come back, and the bite is there, and they can get the strikeouts, but they have a little bit of trouble with the command. So, um, you know, actually, in that league where I'm trying to sell Arietta, I've got Duffy, and I'm trying to sell him too. And, you know, <laughs> you're not going to sell. You're not going to sell out of these guys. I. It's velocity, though, man, and and velocity. Every every mile an hour of velocity is worth 0.2 runs allowed against per nine. So there's a direct link between velocity and and suppressing runs. So you know, if, if a guy throws 95 is in, in, in a starting rotation in a pitcher's park like Kansas City, and you're in a deep league, I go get him. But I don't think either of these guys are really mixed leaguers. Yeah, I think uh, I think Duffy has the. Potential to be a mixed league. I'm not, and I don't really know what to make of it, except that I, I guess, and I don't, I don't know how to explain it, or I don't know how to explain it, except that I, my feeling is on Duffy is that I think the strikeout rate is going to slowly manifest itself. I want to say that he struck out a few Cardinals. I don't remember the number, but um, I, and I was uh, looking at the breaks on the slider. I mean, it actually looks like it's it's better cumulatively than it's been, or, or at least it's about the same. It just looks it looks inconsistent. Um, and, uh, I think, um, I mean, yeah, that could be just a case of a, a, you know, a combination of things that include like, he's not throwing it quite as often. I, I feel like that the strikeout rate is just going to slowly come back up. I mean, I've, I, he's, he's done it before, um, and, and has really shown it in the bullpen. Uh, not this, and again, obviously there's a clear difference between pitching out of the bullpen and All pitching right. and pitching as a starter, but, um. Well, the curve is good, you know, and it's it's pretty close to average right now. And and you're right. Against St. Louis, he struck out five in six innings and had one walk, which and one hit, which is that's really nice. So yeah, and, uh, I, th- and I think that's coming out of that. Like I said, it was coming out of that period. I mean, I think it, I'm not going to blame you and say that he's going to put up starts like that for the rest of the season because there's gonna, you know there's there's still the control issue. But I, I really, I mean, I like the stuff, and I'm more interested now than I was a month ago. Uh, I do think he can play in mixed leagues, but I'd still be like, it's a pitcher that ultimately like I really would like to own, like at a very cheap salary going into next year, for instance, um, because I think he can be a plus, but uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think I don't foresee. I mean, I don't certainly don't foresee this guy being a crux of anybody's roster or anything like that. No, but uh, I, I really like the stuff and I was really impressed. And I think that if health issues are no longer a concern, he really is intriguing to me. Um, a couple of players, uh, couple of minor leaguers that have uh, really struck interest and we'll start with Mookie Betts is uh, 
just basically a question of we, whether we think that he can be an everyday player by the end of 2014. I really don't foresee that being uh, being a possibility. I guess if, uh, I mean, to me, I really had doubts about whether Boston was going to be, I mean, I think that I kind of expected them to go through a postseason hangover, and I think that that's going to continue for most of the season. And so I guess there's a possibility that he gets called up. I don't really know how close he is, uh, but I'm just definitely interested to hear your take on that. I don't. I I have a hard time seeing it unless it's like one of those situations in September where they give him a few appear- token appearances. He's striking out. Uh, he's walking twice as much as he struck out, <laughs> and his his strikeout rate has just disappeared um, as he's as he's gone up in the minor leagues. You know the the power is not quite there here in AAA, but it's 37 plate appearances. I'm willing to give him a pass on that. The fact that he's in AAA, I think it's a big deal. Uh, that means they're looking at him. They're trying to advance him. And the fact that Jackie Bradley Jr. is not doing well uh, says something. You know, Then they recently came out and said that uh, you know their GM said Jackie Bradley Jr. is not the problem. And then when he was asked about Sizemore, didn't, didn't, didn't give the same vote of confidence. They're, they are looking at the outfield. You know, Gray Sizemore is a decent story in terms of, you know, human interest, but not necessarily in terms of how it's uh, played out on the field. So, um, you know, I think there's an opening for him. And the, the only thing that uh, that's missing is a position, really, um, you know, in terms of, like, how they want to um, – you know how they want to use him, um, and he got uh, he was playing center field um, exclusively in Portland a- at the end. Um, you know the kind of thing where he had like ten straight starts in, in center field, maybe one center second base, one um, uh, peppered in, and then he got to Triple uh, A and they put him in, in second base uh, for a couple of games, and then back to center field. So right now. He's played in center field for six straight games in AAA, and the plate discipline has has shown itself. I think that basically what's going to happen is, um, you know, he's going to hit a couple homers, and and all of a sudden his line will look just like it has the last couple years where it's been crazy. I mean, this is a guy, he hit 355, 443, 551 in AA this year, so... He's got legit speed. You know, scouts always said he could play another position if, if they wanted that way. Um, and as soon as he hits a homer or two, the whole line will look better. And the, the Red Sox, I think uh, I think the Red Sox need it. I think the Red Sox, you know, I don't think that uh, Sizemore is the, really a solution. And they need to, if they either, either need to look to, towards the future or, or just try people out and, and, and get the most out of their roster for now. And even Jackie Bradley Jr. is not necessarily the future. I mean, he, he, you know, the walk rate translated, but his strikeout rate is terrible. And so that's taken everything down a notch. And for a guy that has iffy power and iffy wheels, to have a, a 30% strikeout rate is, is a problem. So they, they can say he's not a problem, but he's not an answer. <laughs> and center field for the future is open. And maybe they can move Jackie Bradley to the left field or to fourth outfielder and sign an outfielder, but they want to know going into next season uh, what they have in bets, I think. So I'm, I'm pretty sure bets will be up. I don't know if he wins the job and then therefore becomes a regular, everyday regular, but I think he's going to play 
and I think he's going to give a shot. And judging from how he's done every time he's advanced, the play discipline alone will will give him um, a reason to stay up. Okay, and I well, it's <clears throat> it's interesting. And I think uh, I mean, Boston seems like a team that's not like. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like a team that is like certain that it's still you know has a, an excellent shot to win a World Series again this year. I guess I mean not to say that they uh, that they don't have a shot, but like I thought. I mean, I thought it was interesting that they went ahead and it was almost. Uh, I mean, as soon as Will Middlebrooks was injured, they signed Stephen Drew, and I thought that was kind of a kind of a knee jerk reaction. I felt like in, in a sense, it's like I mean they waited all this time. Um, and a number of other things that they're doing are not necessarily working out either. Is this is this necessarily a move that's going to, I mean, is this going to help you save your season? Uh, and maybe, so maybe there's there's also, I mean, yeah, they're, at this point, they're looking at anything they think can help them win this year. Um, and they probably really don't have to worry about sacrificing too much in the long term or uh, worry about the impact long term on a lot of things. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, I wasn't aware that they were considering uh, bets in center field. or uh, So I, I think that's a really interesting development and i think that uh I mean, it's a player i'm definitely interested in uh because of the combination obp and speed uh, so that's and that's one of those guys you can keep in the back of your mind for those folks who are looking to make up ground toward the end of the season um, so he's an interesting player as, as uh, we get into the second half for sure oh my gosh I, there are some autoplay ads on uh, i won't say what site <laughs> 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 uh, well, that's a good segue into what you're, uh, what you think is a good comp for Jock Peterson then. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, you know, in a, in a, in a certain way, there's a, a little bit of the, the Mookie bets where like, you know, he seems ready, but where's he going to play? Uh, but not in terms of his strikeout and walk ratios. He's a little bit more, uh, traditional, uh, high walk, high strikeout guy. And uh, even though it seems, when you look at his numbers, it seems like he's totally ready to go. I mean, um, 2012, he went uh, 19 and 27 with homers and stolen bases and had a 10% walk rate. Uh, last year, he, was, he had 22 homers, 31 stolen bases, and a 13% walk rate. Um, and this year, he's already got 16 homers and 15 stolen bases. The problem is his strikeout rate jumped to 28.6% this year in AAA. So... Um, you know, he could strike out a little bit much, um, and it's not quite Springer like, but he does have, you know, power and stolen bases and a little bit of a strikeout issue. So I just, you know, you look at Kemp and there, and Kemp is like, you know, the best fourth outfielder in baseball. And, uh, and, and you've got Crawford and, you know, is it going to take an injury to Kemp too? I just feel like, I think it's less obvious what, how Jock Peterson plays. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's less obvious how he gets his shot. Yeah, I think that. I mean, the strikeout rate definitely is that. That was that's obviously the first thing that uh, jumped out at me as well. I mean, there's just. Um, I think the Dodgers. Have, there's no incentive to for them to bring him up. I think is really the bottom line is that. Yeah. I mean, they have and at the same time they've showed no willingness or to. Uh, to to explore uh, legit tr- uh, ways to trade one of the guys that they have that really makes that situation crowded. Um, and I, I mean, that's 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 always a topic for another time. Is it's you know it's, it's how do you how do you maneuver around the the Dodgers as outfield if you own some of those guys? 
I think that it's just it, to me it's a it's a player who clearly just really doesn't ha- is not going to have an opportunity until next season. Um, and yeah, why why would a why would a team that is trying to win now trade away a a, a, a useful veteran outfielder and give another team money to to for that you know like the only way they're going to trade Ethier or Kemp or or Crawford is if they get they offer someone else that they're going to pay half the salary. Yeah. So then maybe like the Mets would come calling and say, "Okay, you're going to pay 40 million dollars for Ethier and then we only have to pay 40 million dollars the next 5 years. We get Ethier for 8 million dollars a year. Okay, we'll take that." <laughs> and uh, and then you know, so then they've subtracted Ethier, then they can call up Peterson, but then they're paying, you know, 20 million dollars or whatever it is to Ethier, 40 million dollars to Ethier and making Peterson more expensive by doing that. And you know, is there any uh, you know short term? Sh- are they sure that Ethi- that Peterson's going to be better than Ethier in the short term? So, uh, you know, the best that you can hope for is yet another injury. Kemp goes down now, and then they'll need Peterson for a couple weeks until Crawford comes back or whatever it is. So, that's the best case situation for Peterson this year. Yeah, <clears throat> and I, I mean, uh, I don't even. Uh, t- to even to take one outfielder out of that equation is a, is a really uh, to me it's even even then I think it's a really difficult to see that it uh, translates to playing time for Peterson. Uh, yeah. Uh, just be, I mean, just again, I mean, they have four guys, and and Scott freaking Vance like is a great power bat off the bench. I mean, he's been really yeah. good in in certain situations. I mean, he's been like the certainly. Would be exposed, I think, with more playing time, uh, and uh, I've seen suggestions that maybe he should play more too, and I think that that's absurd. But uh, it's just a, it's a it's a difficult dynamic if you own Peterson in, in a keeper league. But I mean, at the same time, I'm not I, like I wouldn't be uh, upset, especially you know, no matter what my status was in a league this year, that they're not calling him up. I mean, I think I'm just. I mean, I like the skills long term. Springer is like, I mean, it's kind of a toned down Springer. Like, I like the comp. I mean, maybe he he's probably a better bet to perform a batting average, almost certainly. But um, I, I, I mean, you like the player long term, and uh, I, I wouldn't worry about too much about about the current situation since you know these these things kind of seem to work themselves out in the long run. Um, uh, what hasn't worked out for? Uh, uh, some teams uh, is, is that the Reds, I mean, maybe it seems that this is an offense that has struggled. Obviously it's made a lot of news. Um, <laughs> I, I think it, there's a, there's a clear argument to be made that they maybe have, have kind of overestimated their talent. Uh, and uh, in particular, uh, one of our readers wants to know maybe why Jay Bruce has been so bad. And I think that's an interesting question. I think, I think a little bit has to do with health um, here and there. Uh, still, still don't have. I mean, I think that you know, in the long run, he still ends up with pretty good numbers. I think he was overvalued coming into the season, um, but I've seen a number of other people who thought so as well. I'm interested to hear your take on that too. I guess we knew that these strikeouts were coming. I mean, we knew. Mm-hmm. We know that just from aging curves, the guys who have strikeouts, um, you know, that we know how strikeouts age. We know he's 27, so you know they're going to start to to come back in. Um, you know he, he came in with a 20, you know 24, 25 percent strikeout rate, and then he improved it for a little bit, and now they're kind of going the other way again. So um, I think the you know 
the writing was on the wall, three-year decline, four-year decline in strikeout rate before this year. And so, but, you know, to go from 27 to 30% is pretty significant pretty quickly. His swing strike rate is less than it was last year. And, you know, it was kind of strange that it happened so quickly. But, you know, going forward, I think there could be a little bit of regression there, even though he's past the sort of quote-unquote stabilization point for, for strikeout rate. I think that, you know, he could he could still improve there a little bit. Like I said, his, his swing strike rate is better than it was last year when he had 26% strikeout rate. And for his career, he has a 25% strikeout rate, 255 average. So I think I'd project him for the rest of the season to hit about 240, 250. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the power is down a little bit. I, I could say that's health. Uh, I'm looking at his batted, his batted ball mix. It is really ground ball heavy this year. But, you know, you never know how health is, is a part of that. Um, so, I mean, maybe uh, revised projections, full season projections down to – um, you know, 22 homers, 20 homers rather than 30. So, yeah. Nah. Oh, even that, even 20 sounds pretty bad. I, I think I would still, I still think you can get to 22, 23, 24. Yeah. I was thinking, so. I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, he had, it was a minor knee surgery. Um, what was it? Uh, and he just returned from a couple of weeks ago. I, I think it's, so I won't say that he can get to 25, but I think that, I mean, I think he's going to approach it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, this, this uh, same thing, the strikeout rate concerned me a little bit. Like you said, I mean, the swinging strike rate, I think that there's, there's definitely, <clears throat> um, some of this, I think that went into this where it was just, uh, that, that health contributed to it because I mean, the numbers were bad before he ended up needing the surgery. I think I want to say that this was a, a kind of a nagging thing that they finally decided to go ahead and take care of. And it's those. I mean, uh, it, it's it wasn't a real serious procedure, uh, you know. As he, as he kind of slowly works toward full health, um, yeah. I think meniscus. That's- I mean, yeah, meniscus. The the, the thing that uh, the, you know, the thing that's weird about his line, other than the strikeouts, is the ground ball, fly ball mix. And you know, if you if you're gonna hit for power and you're gonna hit for loft, I think your knees are important. Yes. I think that uh, it's it's part of the leverage that you create. Whole lower half is definitely important. Yeah, and it's part of the back. Uh, it's his left one, and he's uh, a hitter. So that's his back leg. I think yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say his back leg. I think your back leg is a little bit more important, even. So if that's crumbling a little bit, um, you know, I could see you kind of topping the ball off and and hitting the ball into the ground a little bit. So. Um, you know, hopefully he's healthy. Meniscus isn't, um, you know, when you're young, isn't that big of a deal. I know my dad's meniscus are killing him now, but uh, um, if he was uh, 27 years old again and he'd just gotten his meniscus repaired, I think he might be all right. So, uh, you know, I'm reasonably upbeat about him. Um, you know, given the caveat, his average is never going to be good. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, just mentioned Springer. Uh, folk, uh, person is interested in how uh, how much he should buy into Springer in the long term. Um, and I guess he has an opportunity, or is at least considering making the offer to trade uh, a twenty three dollar Bryce Harper for a. Um, and, and I don't know the uh, the salary conventions in this fellow's league, so uh, I'm just going to kind of take this at, uh, at face value. But he has Springer at a buck and. Uh, at, well, I was interested to hear your take first. I really like Springer. I've always kind of liked him. 
probably i mean i've i've fallen into the the love and the, i mean i've 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 been uh feet uh buying into the hype i guess i was uh and one of those who did so i'm interested to see what you think uh you know for instance in a situation like that he'd be one of the very few regulars with a 30 percent strikeout rate but the good news is that with his his current Babbitt it seems sustainable 330 is not that crazy um and uh he definitely has speed and he's not hitting uh infield flies he's got a decent amount of line drives and you know the only concern is that if this power so i'm going to assume it's sustainable in which case i think you know he can be like a 240 250 hitter and be a major leaguer and therefore be exciting because he'll have homers and probably eventually steals but um if the power collapsed a little bit his batting average would collapse with it um, and he would be uh, I, DJ Upton still, without the stu- without as many stolen bases, kind of. <laughs> he's still got a bus bus rate written on him. Yeah, and I do think that long term. So he's right now twenty four, which is not that young. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that means too is that like his his strikeout rate might improve for two or three years, um, but not for like five or six years. So you might see a couple of really good years at the beginning, but not necessarily a great long career or the great peak, um, a great long peak. Because, you know, once he hits 28, that strikeout rate's going to get worse. And then once that strikeout rate gets worse, he's going to be barely playable. So um, I think, you know, for the next four, five, six years, he's, he's going to be useful. Uh, for the next two or three years, he's going to have great upside. You know, uh, Bryce Harper is much younger. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know he, he's. Let's see, we got we got twenty. He's three years younger, so that means he has time to. And he's already shown way better strikeout rates and way better walk rates. Uh, you know, we we assume he has more power than he's shown, and because he's only twenty one, he has three, four more years before he hits his peak. So you know, he could have. He'll have. He'll have a better season than Springer. You know, sometime in the next three years for sure, because. He's going to be going up to the time that Springer is at now, you know. Yeah, it's, you're basically leading exactly into like in that specific scenario that this guy offered. My thought was immediately, I'm like, well, like, um, I love Springer again. I'm kind of, a, I mean, I was on the bandwagon, I mean, especially in uh, mo- uh, for the most part in uh, redrafters. Um, to me, it's a player that I mean. You're talking about, especially when you bring the salaries into it. If if this is a if uh, if there are limitations as far as how long you keep guys, and it's it's a very short period. It's two, three, maybe four years. But to me, kind of three would be max. Um, um, I think uh, because I'm not quite sure that Harper's going to hit his peak or whatever it is, and that you know, and Springer may have him. Uh, I mean, I think it's kind of even, and and you you save some money in there. In the short term, but if this is anything that's, you know, a dynasty type format or anything like that, that is uh, and there's pretty not serious. a lot of if there's not a lot of salary in from the in, inflation. Yeah, yeah, and that you know, is sometimes inflation. it's better to buy the star at twenty, you know, and yeah. have that guy at twenty. But if there's five, if it's if he's twenty eight next year and he's thirty three the next year, then by the time he gets to his peak, he's going to be thirty dollars more than Springer or whatever. Right, and. And 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 Springer can be counted on to peak in the next two three years. So uh, it is a it's an interesting question. 
Um, it, it just a lot of it has to do with the way your keeper rules are aligned, and if they if if they allow you to benefit from the sal from the money you'd save in the next couple of years, I would strongly consider it if. If this is more of a long-term situation, uh, or it's, you know, and you're not which as worried about cost control, I would. Which is also a reason to think not only about the keeper settings, but about where your your team's place is in the standings. Mm -hmm. This sounds to me like something a it would be a slam dunk to me if there was a decent amount of infl inflation and I was anything from you know fourth or fifth place or worse. I would I would take that deal, but if I was in the top three and I might win this year. And there's not a lot of inflation, and I could have uh, Harper for the rest of this season, and Harper next year for twenty three, twenty four, twenty five bucks. You know, that's still that's still surplus value, and he's likely to be better given his his strikeout rate, given his his age, his power, and and the fact that he's already shown, you know, twenty nine stolen bases over his first two seasons, or thirty stolen bases over his first two and a half. So. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of I, I hate to be wishy-washy, but I, I I think that I think that's a fairly definitive answer. Yeah, no question to me. Um, and I think uh, uh, kind of a, easy to come up with a definitive answer here, at least as as far as uh, my take is concerned, is a uh, Mark fellow wanted to want to discuss a little bit Margo Estrada uh, specifically the home run rate. Is that going to come down? I mean, and uh, the news had just come out uh, within the past day or two that. Uh, or past couple of days that is <clears throat> after his most recent uh, dumper of an outing that uh, uh, that his rotation spot, uh, the security of it is a little bit in question. Uh, and just to me, I mean, just as far as Estrada goes, I mean, uh, a lot of folks, I think that kind of looked at last year's second half as a pretty big breakthrough. And I think that to me, uh, given his age and, and things like that, I mean, he's always displayed the high fly ball rate and and the home run rate that has come along with it. That's just the type of pitcher that he is. He's like a better Dave Bush, I think. That's always kind of how I thought of him. He's already, I mean, to me, he's already kind of at peak skills. And I just, I, I want to know part of him because I felt like people were totally overvaluing a string that I, I pinned a lot more on luck, really, than anything else last season. Uh, and I don't know how his, you know, say there was an advancement of a, a certain pitch or anything like that. I just think... I mean, I think that he's kind of—he is what he is. He's a guy who's going to rack up strikeouts. He's—he's he's still kind of a borderline mixed league option, uh, but he can give you that kind of run when he's when he's when he's hot and and is uh, and he's uh, missing bats. Uh, that I mean, I like that kind of player, but I think that just in the end, he he, he is what he is, and I don't think—I mean, I, there's going to be—I I expect some sort of um, positive regression this year, just because I'm sure he's—you know—he'll figure something out and learn to give up a few, uh, you know fewer homers assuming that he's still in the rotation but i don't see this as a guy who's like um you know he's he's part of the uh part of the part of the answer in any particular year i guess yeah he's uh he's he's got a great change up and the crazy thing is that it's it it's given up most like a lot of his homers so um you know the curve still good for grounders um so between the change in the curve he's got sort of a uh, a different approach for for each handedness um and uh, you know he barely throws the curve against lefties because it's it's a pretty bad pitch against lefties um so he's kind of he's kind of a guy that's like kind of a two pitch guy against each side or he's a little bit more effective against righties when he can use all three pitches uh but the change up even though it gets twenty percent whips it just it just gives up homers so i guess he must 
hang he's must be hanging some changeups, and then you know the the fastball was always bad. And you know I knew going into it that the reason that he was one of the bad fastball group, and there was kind of you know uh, when you get to the sleeper level, you kind of just have to you're just picking guys either that either have a bad fastball or have bad breakers. I mean that's they have to have bad something or else they wouldn't be a sleeper. Um, so you know I I tried to do a little bit of both. Uh, and tried to mix them up. That's why I bought a lot of shares of Garrett Richards and Nadia Valdi while also uh, trying to buy shares of Marco Estrada and Corey Kluber um, and guys like that. And sometimes they, you know, like Corey Kluber ditched the four-seamer, went to the two-seamer, and that, that helped him out. Um, you know, Colin McHugh has a, a similar story where he ditched the two-seamer, went to the four-seamer, and that helped him out. So sometimes there's things you can do to pick the right fastball for your mix. Um, and, uh, and, and then on the other side, if you have gas, like a Richards or Ivaldi, sometimes you just need to maybe either give up on the changeup and stop throwing it or find a curveball that goes along with your slider and you can use the curveball against lefties. So there, there, there's always things that you can do when you have velocity. And I think, uh, sometimes it's harder on the other side. So Estrada's road to hoe is harder because he's got an 89 mile an hour fastball and he pitches in Milwaukee. So, you know, I don't think that he'll give up, you know, two over two homers per nine the rest of the, the, the <laughs> but, uh, His career rate of homers is 1.5 per, per nine. So he's always going to be a guy who gives up homers. He's kind of, uh, not in terms of what he throws, he's kind of Lily-esque in that he'll have a good whip, uh, good strikeout rate, and a bad ERA. Yeah. And... Uh... <clears throat> One more situation I definitely want to touch on is uh, um, is the Carlos Gonzalez thing. Uh, they uh, you know they had the exploratory surgery and uh, he had removed what uh, I was I saw was labeled a fatty mass with tentacles, which um, sounds sci-fi. I mean I don't <laughs> I, I I was kind of picturing something that was uh, you know that was slowly taking over his body. And um, thought that you know maybe he was going to morph into some kind of strange-looking creature with three eyes or something. So um, I guess I'm encouraged that he's only supposed to miss five weeks because of that. I'm not really sure what to make of that. I know that there was even uh, there was talk of you know there, there might be a biopsy and things like that. I mean this is you know in terms of just the player's long-term health. I mean I'm glad to hear. That. I guess so far there doesn't seem to be a concern about that. But I mean I don't I don't know how soon they're going to get the results of tests like that. So. Um, but uh, this absence obviously has a, a domino effect, especially because we also uh, didn't really talk yet about uh, Michael Gadire and non-displaced fracture of the glenoid socket. I think that the Rockies are trying to lead the league in, in, in science fiction injuries. Um, the glenoid <laughs> the socket glenoid. in the left shoulder. Uh, and just, I mean, there's a lot of playing time available in the Colorado Rockies outfield now. And uh, we want to talk a bit about... Um, how does this affect the outlook for for cargo himself as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor. It's a, <laughs> you know, it's a tough one for me. Did you stay I at a Holiday Inn Express? I did. No, I, I, it, it sounds better than um, a ligament, and five weeks sounds better than two or three months. So, um, I guess buy Carlos Gonzalez if the price is right. Um, you know. With the non-displaced fracture, I do know that things are easier 
Um, then if they're displaced, it's displaced. You have to do surgery and put it back together again, and then and then fix it. With this one, they can just leave them in there, and there's none of that. Um, you know the problems that come associated with surgery. So in that way, Kadire and and um, and Carlos Gonzalez should be back in in two, three, four weeks. Uh, I don't know what the prognosis is. I think Kadire uh, is six to eight weeks. weeks, I believe. So and, and Gonzalez is is five to six weeks. That's still that's still a month and a half um, with what we're doing right now, which is a Charlie Blackman every day. And um, I don't think that Charlie Blackman is the star he was at the beginning. I don't think he's as bad as he's been recently. I think he's one of these guys that's 280, 15, 15, 15, 20. It's, it's, it's really, it's very hard actually to own a guy like that because you just have to plug them in for the whole season and take that value. Because if you start playing around with him, you're going to miss that day when he hits two home runs. Yep. You're going to miss that day when he, when he steals two bases. And then you look up and you got, you know, very little of, you know, what is actually decent production if you just stick him in there. Otherwise, you can play him at home and try to get more, more of his power stats. Um, I think that's, that's a decent one. I mean, we know that batting average of balls of play is, is way higher in, in, in Coors than anywhere else. So, you know, you might get a better batting average, might get a few more steal attempts and, and more homers out of it. So that's, you know, as a, as a home field Coors guy, platoon guy, that's fine, but you can also just stick him in. Um, otherwise, there's, there's Corey Dickerson, who um, you know I like. I like the the, the skills coming up. Um, I like the, the 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 power he has way more, more than him. He has way more power than Blackman. Um, the swing and miss seems to be okay. You know, he looks like he'll have about a league average strikeout rate. That's great. The only thing to worry about is that he had some platoon splits in the minors. Um, they may sit him against lefties. Um, they've done that a lot, quite, I mean, pretty much exclusively. I mean, that's what they've done so far is they, I mean, they seem to be aware of that. And I, I mean, not, not beneficial to his long-term value. If it's, you know, if that's the case, if that's always, you know, the kind of way they're going to handle him and he's already displayed that. So I think I, I'm, I'm in agreement. I think that the platoon splits are the only thing that really holds you. It holds you back as far as, you know, the, the upside. Um, yeah, but another, another guy that you can plug and play, um, you know, a tweener outfielder, but a guy a little bit worse in, in in weekly leagues where you just have to put him in and you lose some you, you lose some at bats. But um, a really great in head to head and, and play, places where you have a deep enough bench where you can just keep him and slot him in when he's uh, facing a righty. Um, you know, there's a chance that over the next couple of weeks uh, he uh, he might um, there's a chance that he might. Uh, play every day just because they have a platoon in center field too, um, and, and that makes things hard. And I actually, I'm calling Drew Stubbs a platoon player because that's what his splits say. But I'm looking now, and it looks like they're actually playing every day. Um, yeah, that's so, the one thing I I found interesting about the Stubbs uh, the situation that involves Stubbs is that like they have they already have both of their left-handed hitting outfielders in uh, playing. And so they're electing to you know to sit the left-handed one of the left-handed ones Dickerson on a regular basis still, and I guess they kind of platoon him with Barnes. I mean that's <laughs> uh, that's kind of the situation maybe that they're just in now. I think it's a it's an interesting dynamic. I mean it, um, it's kind of like Stubbs. I mean we know 
Stubbs' skill set and, and uh, being in that lineup is certainly a plus. I mean, I think it's you know an opportunity to play him while you can. Um, I'd still rather have Dickerson, uh, primarily because once one of those guys comes back, I mean, he's still going to be the guy who plays more often than not. But yeah, I, I, I don't know why I don't know why it's, it's working out though. I mean. You know, he's a he's a righty that's been terrible against righties for his career. And what I see this year is he's just killing it against lefties and just being barely good enough against righties. I mean, uh, against righties, his, uh, his strikeout rate is 30% this year. His walk rate is 2.5%. Uh, his weighted runs created plus. He's basically, his offense is 30% worse than league average. Against against righties, but he's hitting 267, you know, based on on the best BABIP of his career against righties. So uh, I see him as still a platoon player whose BABIP is covering up the fact that he's a platoon player against the wrong side, and he's mashing the crap out of lefties. But with you have Barnes um, in that in that outfield too, um, which he's not great, but he is a righty. Um, and and uh, so that means you've got a really bad platoon situation where you've got two righties out there. Um, and probably what that means is Barnes is actually platooning with Dickerson, and they're going to play Stubbs every day. But if I'm using Stubbs in a fantasy league, I'm not using him against righties. I mean, against, uh, yeah, I'm not using him against righties if I can help. Yeah, just I agree. I mean, I think that that's, that's going to correct itself in due time. And, I mean, I look at Dickerson like it uh, – a player I uh, I would, you know, for instance, in the latest outfield rankings, rate rankings. now that these guys are out, like I like Dickerson, I, I would hesitate to drop really any of these guys for Stubbs. Um, but I would, you know, I would probably drop it, you know, in a, in a even a 15-team mixed league. To me, like David Murphy is kind of like always been, he's always a borderline guy to me. And, and I've seen him at times not owned in Tout Wars. Um, not necessarily this year, but just in years past. I think that's just, and like I think I like Dickerson a little more in this good situation, and like so Jesus. I want. Jesus, <laughs> I would de- see, Yeah, I definitely wouldn't drop Jesus for Dickerson. I, <laughs> there's there's too much upside in the wine category, but I think that um, you know Dick, I, I like what Dickerson offers uh, as a left-handed uh, got part of a platoon uh, in any given time, and so for a month and a half, maybe two months. He's a guy that really intrigues me, and is a guy like I, you know, I would drop a Murphy for. Um, uh, wouldn't drop a Locaine. Anybody who plays every day and has been giving me good value, I wouldn't drop. But like, um, I think even a Carlos Quentin. I mean, he's, you know, I know he's going to get hurt at some point. So why wait around for it when I can get somebody who's going to play better, uh, play well for me now, and offer maybe a little bit more? Yeah, you know, I still think it's the same kind of situation where I might put him on. Then see you were saying I actually uh, was was uh, recent uh, was decently happy about an eighth outfielder for me ninety fifth overall that's uh, that's just uh, I don't know that's that's where I see him that's like a bench player um, Cameron Mabin you know I she's can we have like eight auto play on one tab. <laughs> Um, I, I just, I don't have any shares of stubs. I'm not picking them up. I don't, a verse lefty guy. I just don't, I don't, right. I don't have the patience for that. If I have a platoon guy, he has got to be left-handed. Exactly. Yeah. 
I, we might have missed, I will admit this, though. We might have missed a little bit on Dickerson, um, you know, in the rankings. So if you're looking at Dickerson in, in the rankings, um, I would, uh, I might move him up a little bit because, um, you know, this was, the, the, the rankings were coming out while we were getting this news. So we didn't know how long these guys would be out and how, what kind of surgery they are. And, uh, you know, he's got, he's 83rd in ours and above him are, you know, you were saying Quentin Upton. You know, I'd move Dickerson up ahead of those guys because it's yeah. obvious how you can use Dickerson. Yep. But would I move him much past David Murphy, who's no. 77? I'm not sure. I mean, he's very much like David Murphy, where he'll have some power, have some speed, and you got to sit him against lefties. So yeah, that's um, that's. I mean, I put him in, in that same class. I I just I, I like Dickerson. Um, anytime I can get Dickerson into plenty of time, I, I I mean, I like him a little more than Murphy because Murphy's power is always questionable to me and I like Dickerson's power and then and then just the hitting environment I mean I'm uh, yeah I want to side there more often than not but I you know you could actually move him up pretty pretty hardcore he's he's an A3 right now and um, the first name that I look at I mean David Murphy 77 and I say okay that's there's a debate there Um, you know Matt Joyce at 71 if you needed more power than speed I think that there's a debate there um, and he's at 71. Then I would keep going. Shane Victorino at 66. Uh, you know, a healthy Shane Victorino should beat Dickerson just because he should steal more, has a nice run environment, plays every day, that sort of deal. But, um, you know, his health is in question. So you can keep going. Uh, Josh Willingham at 61. Cole Calhoun at 59. There, there I start to be like, okay, Cole Calhoun, Dexter Fowler, Gregory Polanco, uh, ben Revere, Marcelo Zuna. Okay, so that's where uh, that's where I start to say I might want these other guys. So I, I might, if I if I did the rankings today, I might move Dickerson all the way from 80 up to about 60, and, wow. and have him right around Cole Calhoun. That's a little higher than I would, but and it's also worth pointing out too that like uh, you know that was um, those came. I, I like Cal. I mean, to, I like Calhoun distinctively more than Dickerson simply because I know he's going to play. For the rest of the season and i do like him yeah. I, I little more than those players uh that are you do have to think about the rest of the season especially you know like pitchers and stuff and i mean and especially in a head-to-head where you you have to think about you know the playoffs right and um and uh yeah uh those came out i want to say on monday correct and and i don't and the news on polanco's call-up didn't come out until the next day so i would imagine he'd jump up a bit too as well i mean like there's there's clearly some things that have changed and that's always you know, i mean that's that's, That's what's so hard about right? <laughs> exactly. So, always something to keep in mind that that, that uh, developments always change the outlook on those things, um, and it's just stuff that we couldn't, you, know, you can't anticipate. Um, but uh, I, and I'm curious to see what you anticipate with this player. I mean, this is somebody just I, I, I've been wanting to ask questions about um, for a little while. Just a player I think you could talk about probably endlessly, uh, but it's Justin Verlander. This is a guy we've, uh, I mean, his last, I mean, he's, he's been awful for the past eight starts of his. Um, and velocity was down for a little while, but now we're talking about a guy who, I mean, uh, you said you noticed some interesting things, uh, you know, maybe in the last start or two that you wanted to point out and uh, been getting a lot of questions about this guy. Who's that? Justin Verlander. <laughs> I knew who you were talking about because I got the notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, he's, he's inspiring a lot of conversations just because 
you know, one of the things that we've we've shown is that um, that strikeouts that uh, strikeouts minus walks or strikeout walk percentage minus walk percentage is the is the best in season predictor, uh, better than Sierra and FIP and all those. And so, um, you know, you look at strikeouts minus walks, and Verlander is 90th of 97 Ooh. by strikeouts minus walks. That's just uh, terrible, and it, it, and it's is even more terrible because it's Justin freaking Verlander. So, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. The command is not there. Uh, worst walk rate of his career. Um, you know, uh, what's really weird is that his swing strike rate is not the worst of his career. It's not even the third or fourth worst. It actually is fairly deep, and so. Uh, uh, you know, he's still got some stuff. And then, you know, everyone's been reporting about how his velocity is down, you know, down down a ton. He was in averaging 93, 94, 95 uh, the last, last three years, and, and now it's 92. But, what I, you know, what you can look at, you can see in the game logs that he's back up. He's averaged 95 for three straight games now. Um, and if you, if you go back five games, he's averaged over 94 for five games. So he's definitely pushing that... that um, that velocity back up, and you know what's just uh, depressing about that is that there haven't really been um, great uh, games in those last three. I mean, yeah, he, he pushed it up, and in the last three games, he has 17 strikeouts against eight, nine walks, um, and he's given up 15 runs in three games. So, you know, I, I wish that the results matched up with his 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 velocity, but I will say. I did try and shop him uh, to sell him low um, before when I saw that velocity, and I couldn't get it done. I was looking for, I was even looking to sell low and buy low for guys like Homer Bailey and stuff like that, or you know, try to get a couple good young pitchers for him or something like that. But um, I couldn't get anywhere with him. Nobody was buying him. Everyone's sort of, what have you done for me lately? And now with this, with this news that he's. Got three straight games over 95. I'm not selling him low anymore, so I'm just going to wait and see a couple more starts, see if he keeps the velocity and the and the results follow. Yeah, I like the recommendation because I, I really have, I really, I really have had a hard time figuring out. To me, I'm I'm still I'm still a little wary, but the velocity increase is really encouraging. And um, I mean, I've seen. I hadn't really noticed this as far as uh, I mean I, I've just seen you know a number of analysts even you know on TV uh, writing and, and they pointed out the fact that like um, uh, comparison to Felix Hernandez is one I saw in the sense that they pitched you know maybe the same number of innings in the past several years but that Verlander has thrown roughly a thousand more pitches um, and that I mean you, when you factor in the postseason and think like you know multiple. Uh, postseason runs and things like that. That this is a guy who has just um, really been maxed out and push push. Uh, he's really you know he's pitched a lot and deep into uh, you know he's had short a little bit shorter off seasons and things like that. Um, and is this you know is this the effect? I think that the type of workout routine and things like that. I want to say and I mean I, it's it's really hard to say about a lot you know any pitchers really that I mean, in, in the end they eventually they break down or they they're affected physically and things like that. Um, it, it's, he, it's, he, it's he is thirty one. Yeah, and, and 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 he's thirty one. So I, th- I mean it, it it concerns me a little. Like I'm 
as long as the velocity is creeping back up, I mean, I think you have to be encouraged. I think he could be one of those guys. I mean, he's always had really good mechanics as far as I know. I mean, even, even things I've read, whether it's scouting-wise or just you know, watching him, I mean, he doesn't. Uh, there's no, uh, there's nothing to me in the eye test and incredibly amateur eye test that says, man, this is a guy I have to be concerned about long term. I mean, there's just like he is a pitcher that's you know has always had kind of elite upside. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he, he it, not to say that he's like gonna um, defy physics, but he you know he's he has the ability to defy a little bit aging curve and stuff like that. I think so. It, it's. As long as there, I mean, there's, there's no, there's nothing to think that there's something health wrong. Uh, he's, he's not getting ahead of guys. I mean, there's clearly some kind well, of issue with a, a little bit of a health asterisk in that he had surgery in the off season. Ah, that's right. You know what? I so, completely forgot that. Okay, well then, he screwed. You know, it, but it's, I mean, it's not. It wasn't arm surgery. Uh, it was an. It was the oblique thing. Yeah. So it, it, it was hard to kind of. Parse at the time. I think it did. It did hurt his draft stock. I remember that it hurt his draft stock. Um, but you know, I fall back on the fact that, like, at this point, if, if someone's going to offer you, um, you know, if, if you're not going to get good value on them, don't sell low. Right. And there, and one of the things that, that I'm that I'm seeing is that you know I was talking about a swing strike rate. His swing strike rate is between. Uh, Marco Estrada, Zach Wheeler uh, are just above him, and just below him are James Shields and Phil Hughes. So you know, it's not impossible for him to succeed with a nine percent string strike rate. That's still above average. It's still really good for us. I mean, it's 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 as well above average for a starter. And uh, if you gave him his command that he's had for the last three four years, um, where it's been you know two two and a half walks per nine. Uh, and he had that swing strike rate, he'd be great. I mean, he, he pitches in a home park that suppresses homers. Uh, he's got a good offense behind him. And, uh, you know, th- he would look like maybe uh, Hiroki Kuroda the last couple of years, not this year. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, things are falling apart a little bit for him. And uh, it's just, I just don't sell low. You know, I even tried to with him and uh, it didn't work. So um, I'll, I'll hold him. And maybe find some places where I can sit him, but uh, I mean it's hard to sit Justin friggin' Verlander. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as the starting pitcher rankings go, is there anybody there? I mean, uh, I would. I mean, you're about you know you're about right on the average. Is that? I mean, same feeling. I would guess. I mean, there's a couple of guys. I guess like uh, um, Cliff Lee, Sonny Gray, Jared Weaver, Doug Fister, Gio Gonzalez. These are all guys that are right below him. I, I mean, I think there are a couple of. I, I like Fister rest of the season, and I, I might want him more than Verlander. Um, but I mean, like, I, I mean, it seems like a good range when you get into the Scott Casmiers and CJ Wilsons guys. That, I mean, you have questions about whether they're going to keep this up. I mean, I'd rather, I'd be just as happy to take a shot on Verlander turning it around, given that there's a, a couple of positive signs. So, uh, but. Is there, you know, and I don't see that there's anybody above him that I would that I would take him over. But I, so I think it's a good spot. He's right around 25, and if he finishes there, I mean, like, I mean, there's 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 still reason to believe that he can do that. I think. Uh, you know, yeah, I had him right below Jeff Samarja, which is you know had to swallow hard to to do that ranking. <laughs> uh, you know, he's right above Cliff Lee. 
who's got injury concerns. You know, Sonny Gray, you know, I had him above Verlander, but the consensus had him below. And it, there's, um, there's, uh, there's, you know, even good Sonny Gray doesn't have the strikeout rate of bad Justin Verlander. <laughs> <laughs> so as much as you like Sonny Gray, and I understand that's only, it's only part of the fantasy game. There's, there's, there's other things going on. Um, you know, there's, 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 he's got more upside than, than anyone in the low, in the low twenties. I mean, yeah. you know, Verlander Weaver, I mean, Weaver, Weaver throws 87. We're all worried about Verlander at 95. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weaver throws 87. So, uh, Doug Fister injury concern, Gio Gonzalez injury concern, Ian Kennedy, nobody until this year. Uh, Mike Miner. Looks good at times, but I think there's a lot of things about Mike Miner that are that are barely there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Scott Casimir injury risk, uh, you know. So I'll take him above all those guys. And so if I'm se- if I'm selling him and I'm and I'm trying to sell him for somebody that's below him in the rankings because I'm selling low, I don't even know where I'd go. I mean, would, right. nobody would give me Sonny Gray for Justin Verlander, so I'd have to go down to Homer Bailey. So I, I tried Homer Bailey, didn't work. Maybe if you are really just down on Justin Verlander, tr- trade for Homer Bailey and hope Homer Bailey stops giving up homers. Uh, trade for Matt Cain, hope he stops giving up homers. These are all guys that are 10 spots lower in the rankings. Yeah, I'd rather have Verlander than Cain. Um, and yeah. I mean, I think Cain is, I mean, it's kind of a similar situation, except that the signs, I mean, I, I'm a little more encouraged by Verlander's signs, and that's considering that Cain pitches in a great park and, and the National League and things like that. I, I think. It's interesting to note how how much more you liked Cole and Garrett Cole than most of the rest of these guys. And uh, I mean, like, I think that's a guy that I consider putting in close to that tier. Like, I, I'd be willing to take a gamble on Cole's talent. And he's still kind of, you know, he's still burgeoning. You know, it's, it's a guy we've Garrett already talked Cole about. Cole was the one name that I looked down at, especially since in the past he's done things where he, um, you know, he, he, he started throwing his breakers more in the second half and, and mm-hmm. the strikeout rate went up with him. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a there's a there's a chance that he could. Uh, I'm sorry, there was a total dive. That's a total dive. Anyway, <laughs> I know you watch afterwards. So <laughs> I've had my eye on it. I I can't lie, but I mean, I've just I just looked up and and yeah, I'll be I'll be watching it in full after we're done. Yeah. <laughs> So, so who's next? Who's after Verlander? We're gonna. Oh, we should talk about uh, the Seattle situation. Yeah, that's it's it's exactly where I was headed. I figured, you know, at the very least, we want to get to this one. It's just, it. I think it's in, it's extremely interesting. We a number of things have developed here in Seattle just in the past few days. Um, they start with uh, Seattle's need to yeah. put. Uh, actually, I can't even think about all the things. Let me see here. Seattle's need to put uh, Justin Smoke on the disabled list. Uh, he has a strained quadriceps. Um, they activated Logan Morrison at the same time, strain, uh, strain hamstring. Uh, they uh, also had to put Michael Saunders on the disabled list. He's been dealing with a shoulder thing for, I want to say, a couple of weeks, although I know it's only been an issue, really an issue and he's missed time in the past week maybe. So, uh, But, I mean, this is kind of thing that's kind of gone on and off. Uh, and then the, the thing that grabbed my attention is that they're calling up Jesus Montero, and it's a totally understandable thing, but I, I'm – I still love the guy's talent. I don't give a crap how much he weighs. Uh, and as, as long as he has catcher eligibility, this is a guy to me who should be, you know, people should be interested in in 12-team mixed leagues with two catchers. Um, I don't know 
I mean, the numbers were the numbers were pretty solid at, at the AAA level, and I don't and you have to factor in the fact that he's older and is it's a it's a Pacific Coast league, but uh, I mean, he might just I mean he's a type player. Maybe he just doesn't also kind of apply himself or care quite as much. And uh, I mean, as long as you don't have like a morality issue with players on your fantasy team, I mean, it's a guy that interests me. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about as far as Seattle's concerned too, but. Uh, uh, the owners are agnostic. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's they, a good way to be. They'll take anybody. They'll take anybody that can help their team. I, there's there's a, there's a pretty interesting scenario going on with the Mariners where there are there's um, first base is up in the air with smoke out. Uh, right field is up in the air with uh, with Corey Hart out, and DH was always up in the air uh, and was supposed to be filled by different different people at different times. So. Um, you know our depth charts at Fangraphs have uh, more uh, have Montero not really factoring in so much, and they look like they're recently updated because Morrison is at top of the uh, first base for the Mariners, and they have uh, Montero getting 17 plate appearances at first, and um, uh, eight plate appearances at DH the rest of the season. <laughs> So they're not betting on 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 much. Whoever's doing these are is not betting on much from him. And I guess the the uh, what the the bet is that Logan Morrison, who's a lefty, is just going to basically take over at first base. And you know, actually, I think he can probably pretty much do what what Smoke was doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, hit two thirty with you know twenty homer type power, and shut up. <laughs> Oh my God! I disagreed with you. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and um, and then I guess, with I guess that you know, if Logan Morris is playing first, then how can he DH so much? Um, unless you know all those D all those DH plate appearances come for Morrison once Smoke comes back or something. But I think you know if Morrison's mostly playing first, that leaves DH open, and that's kind of Jesus Tiro's natural position. Yeah, so, for sure. I mean, if, it could be a totally. Sh- I mean, it's probably a totally a short-term thing but i, I mean uh, for some reason uh cole gillespie i mean that's who it looks like i mean he's been playing a lot lately i want to say and he has a over a couple of stolen bases Gillespie. right right and it's just but it, it, i mean what he's doing is anomalous now so right. but they i mean they you know managers they, like lloyd mcclendon are going to play guys who are getting the results in the moment so right. it's hard they, to say you know they can play gillespie and then if they need help in the outfield, in the outfield, and they, then Romero is their fourth outfielder, right? Because Morrison's their first baseman. Right. So you've got Gillespie and Romero playing right field and and, and fourth outfielder, and that doesn't leave a DH. You know, other, if I look up and down, the only DH I see is Nick Franklin, and I don't know if he's even with the big. You know, Franklin's in AAA. So you know, ostensibly, until Corey Hart comes back, uh, he's just. Montero actually the starting DH. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that that's the way it should shake out. I mean, I, th- I mean, why it's I mean, why call up Montero to sit him on the bench? I mean, I guess. But if I mean, if you need the depth, okay, I, I think that's understandable. I think. I mean, this is a team that's playing Indy Chavez, uh, James Jones, and and Dustin Ackley are certainly. I mean, a little bit more understandable. But Indy Chavez still has a job. Find a solution for this. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, it, it's just, it's just, oh, I'm it, so sorry, everybody. 
<laughs> that is just, it's unacceptable, but these tabs have autoplay ads, and I don't know what to do about it. All right. I think it's it's Montero's fault, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, I, th I mean, yeah, it just, it, I think you set yourself up for um, a bit of a headache if you play one of your, um, you, you know, a backup fielder, that, outfielder that you like to rely on so often uh, as your DH because you don't want to be faced with a situation where you have to use him and then lose the DH, whereas Montero, you know, can plop right in there and just kind of sit there. I, uh, I, plop, plop being the key word. Yes. No, I, I think, yeah. <laughs> It, 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 there's something that's nice about what he's doing, which is that he's uh, he got his walk rate up, and um, his walk rate up to uh, to you know where he'd had it before, and um, uh, and the power was back up again. So you know he, he's a he can hit. There was always just a question of where he would hit, and uh, you know if he would not eat the bat. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, there's probably some amount of wake-up uh, call happened to him in his, it just now. So, yeah, no question. I think about that. That's uh, I, I kind of would have hoped to have had him in an AL only league, like a, you know, a chance to draft him in the reserve round. I mean, virtually no one was interested, so you could do that. And I think that's what happened. I want to say in AL labor, you could probably remember better than I do. But uh, um, I mean, he had a good spring training. <laughs> I think yeah, right. I mean like it's now we're reaching <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean but I mean there was you know there was there were a number of good you know, a number of reasons to not not to totally lose touch with him and I think that they're still there so it'd be interesting I mean if he you know if he tears it up that's the only way they're gonna you know this is gonna result in anything long term possibly um, but I mean it's a team that it, I mean I, I still don't understand entirely what the Mariners plan the Mariners plan is Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop that. Uh, it, because I mean, they they seem to create their own log jams, um, and and yeah, then and then the result. Case them. it actually kind of what's crazy is they created this super log jam with with a bunch then, of hurt guys. <laughs> I know, and then they all got hurt, and now they got uh, and now they're still using their homegrown guys that they had to begin with. Although I guess Morrison having Morrison for first right now is helping them out. But uh, it's kind of crazy they went and just got eight uh, corner outfielder, corner infielder guys. And we're like, between these eight, we'll have two. <laughs> and they've, so far, it's worked out like that. I mean, they're above 500 for once. And their star acquisition is, is not hitting well. So, Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, it's, I mean, it's good. But, like, you know, they brought in, they brought in the injury-prone corner outfield, uh, corner infield guys with the heart and the Morrison. So that's what I think is kind of strange about it. Consider, you know, I mean, they didn't do anything with the, with the rest of them, I guess. I mean, yeah. I guess, it, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, they talked about, you know, bringing Morales back and, and times and they were still, you know, speculate. I mean, I don't think there was ever any real legitimacy, real, real legit chance that they did end up bringing him back, but this is a team that is definitely, it's a contender. I mean, I think it, I think it would be fun to see the Mariners make the postseason. I think they have a shot. Seven million dollars, which is like the cost of. I mean, didn't they give Hart like seven million dollars? They really think Hart was going to be much better than Kendrick Morales, and they didn't have to give up a pick for Morales. I yeah, it's a strange so, decision in hindsight. Hindsight. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Indeed. Well, uh, 
any of these other situations you'd like to get to before? I think particularly this one we should just touch on at least briefly is the Adam Wainwright thing because the elbow discomfort, the MRI, a cortisone shot, uh, and they've called it something similar to tennis elbow. All those things sound great. I think he's probably going to be skipped this weekend, even though they say they still haven't made up their mind. I don't see how you pitch a guy like this uh, this weekend at the very least. But uh, what are your thoughts on uh, this development? I mean, this is somebody's had a heart attack about this, I'm sure. And um, yeah, justifiable well, considering that he had t- Tommy John surgery a few, days, a few years ago. He tried to pitch through. Uh, he thought he might pitch through a, a UCL uh, tear. Um, and then he actually had a Tommy John. And I see on his, on his history – um, uh, a UCL tear in the minors too, in 2004. Ooh. Um, it says UCL sprain. Um, uh, so I I don't know if that's a second uh, Tommy John. Uh, but uh, you know we knew that uh, we we uh, we don't know. But there's a history um, uh, of us you know working with Jeff Zimmerman of finding that. Curveballs are, are stressful for the uh, for the elbow, so or for are are, are not great for your health. Um, so now he's had uh, he's had Tommy John, and um, you know he had some issue in the past, and uh, it's coming up again. And we know that you know there's more people having uh, having two of them, but um, all you can do is is hope at this point. Yeah. I don't like people. I don't like to sell. You know, I don't like it for a couple of reasons. I don't like to sell low, and I don't want to sell. I don't really like. Um, I'd hate to sell him, and then it's Tommy John, and then have the other guy claim that I knew somehow. I mean, especially in my position, you know. Oh right. Oh, you know, it's just like a lot of potential with sour grapes and stuff like that. So it's just like, just you know. Just hold him and hope hope for the best. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I mean, I think that, uh, um, it's kind of. A, I mean, if you own him in a in a league, say like a, you know, um, league we play play in or have played in, uh, being you know labor or talent uh, they have where you can, um, if a guy is out for. Depending on the rules, but it's basically you know if you know you're going to miss a guy for the rest of the year, you can reclaim his uh, his salary. Not not a guy you fabbed, just a guy that you bought in the auction. You can reclaim mm-hmm. his salary um, in fab money, and that's it, it's it certainly doesn't replace the pitcher. Um, but that I mean, like for instance, in a league like that, I wouldn't even attempt to, to trade him, just because um, I have a little bit of a way to try to make up for it, and I'd much rather have what. Uh, Wainwright might give me if, as long as he turns out to be okay rather than uh, what I have to sell him low for so yeah, but, uh, yeah. Well, was, there, was a, there was one last injury uh, thing I thought that was a little bit interesting yeah there's uh, well, there are, yeah there are a couple that certainly um, and Ross, I just I, you know it's it's hard to lump those two guys together so different but um, both of them were super injury uh, uh, prone, and so you know, coming into the season, there was, you know, I didn't project um, Liriano for anything more than 150 innings, and uh, you could actually probably, 
get close to 150 innings even with this oblique strain. But, um, you know, basically I think last year was great. He's had a couple great years like that, but his natural command isn't that great. Um, and so his command went south and, and then his body went south, and that's pretty much just par for the course. And, uh, you know, Wilson Ramos, same thing. I mean, how do you, how do you project him um, to, be, uh, to be healthy for a season when his full career high in at-bats is 435? So, uh, you know. That's actually a pretty uh, good total. <laughs> but it's, it's not like a – it's like that like – he's, he's yet to give us that total. Uh, you know, he's not, he hasn't given us that, uh, that Yadier Molina total type where – um, I mean, he hasn't even come close to that. And it's, yeah, it's starting to be where like, uh, the soft tissue injuries to me are always more concerning. I mean, cause some of the things that have happened to Ramos, you could chalk up to being freak things. And some players seem still to be more prone to those than others, but like he, it's, a, it's also not the first soft tissue injuries had and strain hamstring doesn't sound serious, but he's had, I think he's had issues with those before. It's just, that's one thing I don't understand. There seems to be certain players in certain sports that like, they don't take care of soft tissue well enough. It doesn't seem like yeah. it's that difficult to me to do. I work out or yoga or, you know, keep them, keep them limber somehow. But yeah, there's also, you never know what's like sort of um, genetic or yeah, that's true. ingrained. But, uh, you know, you have them in, the, in, a, in a tier, in your, in your catcher tiers with um, Norris, Castro, Jaso. I think uh, I'd feel pretty confident, uh, comfortable dropping him right now uh, for uh, – I think Jaso would be my pick uh, just because he's, he's, he's the guy who's the lefty uh, batting against righties. Norris has nicer-looking stats, but he's the righty batting against lefties. So I think I'd pick up Jaso. Uh, I think I'd even drop Ramos for Castro if I had to, if I needed – you know, if I had other DL situations. Castro is at least healthy. And has had some seasons that look like uh, Wilson Ramos's best season. So um, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's coming this season. You know, he's striking out too much. But um, I think I'd move on. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, yeah, I, I would just, yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. I would just move on, just because. I mean, I like like the upside, but um, I'd rather rather be, you know, it, it'd be a player I would look to buy next season as opposed to continue to cling to hope this one if there are, if there are alternatives on my wire. Yeah, and speaking of moving on, we've gone for an hour and a half. So. <laughs> yes, I kind of feel like it was. Uh, I thought we were approaching that moment. Um, it's been a fantastic show. Uh, appreciate everyone for joining so us. Yourself. Yes, if I do say so myself, I, I think I've uh, I've done two plural possessives incorrectly, uh, and then corrected them. So I'm uh, I'm making I'm making at progress. Least a couple of yas and ums in there. Yeah, at least a couple. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, again, we, you know, we continue to look for ways to improve things, and um, we appreciate everyone listening and uh, keep the requests and tweets coming. Um, we appreciate all the feedback as well. Yeah, thanks for listening. All right, take care. Until next time, this has uh, been episode number 128 of The Sleeper and the Bust. Boom.